what it is. It's a biblical directive from 1 Peter 3.15. Always be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. That word is apologia. It's a Greek word, apologia. It means a defense or an answer, a response. So uh, always be ready to give an apologia for the reason for the hope that is in you. But do it with gentleness and respect. Because we have to keep in mind, when we're talking to people about our faith, we've got to be direct, we've got to be on point, we've got to be truthful, but we need to show the love of the Lord because we are representing Jesus Christ. I've had conversations with atheists where, you know, some of the things that they say that are completely devoid of truth, and you start to get that kind of uh, emotion, you know, it starts in your toes and goes all the way up, but you've got to dial it back because we are representing the Lord. So we've got to be, again, to the point, but remembering who we represent. So that's what apologetics is. It is the art and science of defending the Christian faith, knowing what we believe and why we believe it. And so there is indeed a biblical directive to do that. Now, we don't have to all be experts at it. We don't have to have a Ph.D. in theology in order to pull this kind of stuff off. But we do need to at least have some of the basics, I think. Okay. Now, we did a whole series at Elam in the summer. And folks, as I was preparing for this, believe me, I love talking about this stuff. And so there were so many things that I wanted to try to cram into one Sunday morning, uh, and it's just not possible. So I want to focus on one thing, because it's a big one. It's a big one. It's one of the big objections to the Christian faith. It's one of the things that people raise this objection a lot. And sometimes Christians have a tough time answering this question. And that is, why should Jesus Christ be the only way to heaven? Why should Jesus be the only way to heaven? You Christians are bigoted, narrow-minded, arrogant, and exclusive because you say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Why should your guy, your God, be the only way? Okay? So, I've seen Christians on television, big names, freeze up when asked that question. And what I'm going to suggest to you folks is that it's just the opposite. The one-way road to heaven through Jesus Christ is the most loving, logical, and moral thing that God has done. And it's the most inclusive as well. So we'll get to that in just a second. But just to sort of go backwards for a minute with what we were talking about with apologetics. Folks, we have the most primary blessing there is. We are in God's family through Jesus Christ. Amen? We've been cleansed of our sins. We've been brought from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Given Jesus Christ's perfect righteousness, and then eternal life. And an eternal life that's not full of struggle like it is now, but an eternal life of perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect love, perfect fellowship with our perfect Savior. Okay? That is our primary blessing for those of us who believe. But there's a secondary blessing to that. The secondary blessing is that God has not left us in the dark about the truth of those things. God has not left us in the dark about the very things that we profess to believe. God has not called us to believe what is not believable. He has not called us to defend what is indefensible. Right? You know, when we think about the existence of God, does God exist? Is the Bible really His Word? Is Jesus Christ the risen Savior and only way to heaven? Are heaven and hell real places? Is there such a thing as eternal life? 
These are all legitimate questions. And does God tell us, don't ask those questions. There's no answers for them. It's blind faith. You hold your nose, you jump in with both feet, and you hope it turns out all right in the end. That is the world's definition of faith, beloved. That is the world's definition of faith. It is not God's definition of faith. God's definition of faith is that we place our trust in that which is true, in He who is true. Okay? But here's the thing. At a basic level, there has to be an intellectual reality about the existence of God, for example. In order for us to love God, in order for us to say that Jesus is our Savior and worship Him and, and know Him for all the things that He's done, that presupposes that He really exists. It really, really presupposes that God's Word is God's Word. And so what I'm saying is, is that God has not left us in a position where we cannot answer those questions, folks. Jesus never sent the disciples out and said, bring the gospel into the world, but if anybody asks you any questions, duck and cover. Get out of there. Don't answer them, because there's no answers to those questions. Oh, my goodness. God didn't do that. He said, no, have faith in the truth. People ask you questions. If they raise objections, that's what I've given you the tools to do. There was a woman that um, many years ago that kind of got me started in this, and the Lord was doing a work in me, and she used, and the Lord used her to really help me. And I'll never forget it as long as I live, because it, I mean, my life had already changed because I got saved, but for three days I was, I was happy, and I was on top of the world. I was on cloud nine because I was saved, and then just like that, crash and burn. How do I even know this stuff is true? I'm thinking. And I was really struggling back then, you know, just with a lot of things. And there was a counselor I was seeing, Christian woman. And I said, Marilyn, I said, how do I know that these things are true? I said, I'm going about saying I'm saved and all that. How do I know it's true? Well, she didn't say, well, gee, I wish I could help you, but I don't know. Or, well, there are no good answers to that. Or, no, it's just all about blind faith. She didn't do any of that. You know what she said? She goes, oh, here's a book. It's a great question. Here's a book. <laughs> More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. Oh, and if you're interested in science, here's Henry Morris and Dwayne Gish. And, of course, there's, a, there's an endless list of, of resources. But if she would have told me anything other than that, I'd have been devastated. But I was struggling. The Lord was doing a work in me, and he used her, and it made a huge difference, and I'll never forget it, because that really launched me. The Lord just seeped me into this study, okay? Now, again, I wish I could get into many of the particulars, but it's just not possible. But I will say this, folks. Marilyn was not an expert in apologetics. She wasn't an expert, but you know what? She knew what the Bible had to say about knowing what we believe and why we believe it. She knew that. She knew enough that there was a lot of evidence that supports what we believe. She knew what some of it was, and she knew where she could get her hands on the material to offer to somebody who had a question. Because, folks, apologetics is used across a number of different dif disciplines for encouragement for ourselves, for our children and grandchildren, newer believers, Discouraged believers is a form of evangelism. People may have that question. The Lord may be doing a work in them. Somebody says, how do you know God exists? Folks, 
we have got to at least be able to point them in the right direction. That doesn't cost us anything. But we don't have to have a college degree to be able to do it. And so what I'm saying to you is if you ever have any questions about this stuff, come and see me, please. I would love to talk to you about it. I'd love to, you know, you can get on our website, uh, elamfreechurch.com. I've got an entire reference library broken down in different categories for all sorts of different age levels and all this sort of thing. Um, you never know where the Lord's going to take you with that study because I was surprised where he took me, okay? I was surprised where he took me before I got saved. I read the sports page and movie reviews. That was it. Those were the only two things I read. I wanted nothing to do with anybody think about science or religion or anything else. But the Lord said, I've got better things for you to be doing. And so he did this change. And I think it's been a benefit not only to me but other people who I've been able to encourage about the truth of the faith. Okay, so with that as some background, let's turn to uh, John chapter 14. Because in addition to, you know, the main questions about God's existence and the truth of the Bible and so forth, uh, you know, you also get a lot of objections. You know, why is there so much violence in the name of religion? Uh, all the church wants is your money. There's a church is filled with hypocrites. Uh, you know, why should Jesus be the only way to heaven? What about evil and suffering? Again, these are all questions that are legitimate. Sometimes they come from a place inside people where they have kind of false motives. You know, they raise those objections as an excuse to keep God at arm's length. But still, folks, God has not left us in the dark. Answer the question. The questions can be answered. Even that one about evil and suffering, which is probably the most pernicious of them all. Folks, people say there's no answers. There are. There are. When it comes to the fact of evil and suffering in the world, the Christian biblical worldview is the only one that can offer any cogent perspective, hope, reason, and ultimate purpose for it. Now, there is an answer. We know generally because of Romans 8.28, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. Okay? We may not know all of the details about what God is doing, okay? but there is at least an answer. It doesn't mean that people are going to automatically go, oh, okay, my pain is gone. I, I feel better now. You know, uh, but we have to know that that answer is there. So, one of the objections is, why should Jesus be the only way to heaven? And that's the one I want to focus on today because it's one that, quite frankly, I used to wrestle with. Well, I hope I don't get that question. I hope I don't get that question. It does sound exclusive, doesn't it? What about people who believe sincerely in other stuff? You know? Uh, are they really going to go to hell because they don't believe in Jesus? Okay? But then, once again, you remain in prayer, you remain studying, you ask God's guidance, and he will give it to you. Folks, just very quickly, and I keep diverting myself from the main topic because I get excited about this stuff. And, you know, I remember one time when I first started studying apologetics and studying all the wonderful, beautiful evidence that God has given us that undergirds every single thing we believe as Christians. I couldn't get enough of it. But then I started thinking, I started up here. That's all I was doing. It was just in my head. That's all I was doing. You know, I'd have a question. I'd run to the Internet. I'd have another question. I'd run to a book. I'd have another question. I'd run to an article. I'd listen to the radio. I'd do this and that. And I was really getting frustrated, and I was really getting stifled in what I was learning. 
and I was getting discouraged. I remember listening to a Bible teacher, and it's almost as if he was talking directly to me. He said, you know, if you have a question about something in the Bible or something about God, don't beat your head against the wall. You got a 24-hour hotline to the throne room of the universe. Use it. Ask God for guidance. And folks, that is the simplest thing, and ever since I have done it, God has never let me down. Any question that I've had, any difficulty in resolving something, it's either happened right away or very shortly after, after I've asked that prayer. But God will guide you if you just ask him. Okay? So, the Bible is very, very clear about the road to salvation. And it can't be any more clear than in John 14. In verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? What does Jesus say? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty darn exclusive. That is exclusive. But you know what? You're going to find more verses like that. Let it, Acts 4.12, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, but by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is also very exclusive. So you see where people get the exclusive part, but let's keep something else in mind. I'll get to that in a second. Philippians 2.9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is also very pointed, very exclusive. Is exclusive a bad thing? Not when it comes to truth. Truth, by definition, is exclusive, right? George Washington is the first president of the United States. That's either true or it isn't. If it's true, it's very exclusive, because that means nobody else could be. It's an exclusive truth. Jesus Christ is the risen Savior and only way to heaven. That is an exclusive truth. So yes, in that sense, it is exclusive. That's just pure, that's simple logic right there. I mean, that's, you know, and I'm going to get to some of that again in just a second. But what is the Bible telling us here? The Bible is make, saying in no uncertain terms that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. But then we get some issues with that. Well, what about people who haven't heard? What about people who haven't heard? In Acts 17, 26, from one man he made every nation of men to inhabit the whole earth, and he determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands. God intended that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Folks, what we've got to do when, people, when we ask these questions or when other people ask the questions, we've got to take it out of our hands and start top down and not bottom up. We go bottom up trying to figure all this stuff out in our own, you know, uh, failings as human beings. We're never going to get anywhere. But you start at the top. You start with the character of God, his perfect, holy, righteous being. 
and know that he is the one who is doing the work. We're not saving anybody. We're, we're, the, we're the vessels. We're the messengers. We're the ones that share the truth, but the truth is not something that we've created. It's only something that we communicate, okay? So God is the one who's doing the work, and God did that work the minute we were born because he placed knowledge of himself within every human being. So even if nobody has seen a Bible or heard a Bible verse, they are intimately aware of God because of the way God has created us. That is why Paul says, men know the truth of God, but what do they do? They suppress it in unrighteousness. And that Greek word is katakane. And what that means is, is that um, the truth is there, but when we suppress it, katakane just doesn't mean oh, we're suppressing it. It means we're holding it down with force. As that truth keeps coming up, we just push it down. Because we like the darkness rather than the light and so forth. So God has placed knowledge of himself in nature, in conscience, in scripture. Who hasn't heard is the question I have. People say, well, what, if people, what if they'd never heard the truth? Folks, we just did, I was just doing the Gospel of John at Elam, and in, in chapter 3, uh, after, the, after the, you know, the famous John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, uh, what that scripture says is that those who do not believe will not see life. They're not going to make it. Never in the Bible does it ever say, for those who didn't hear the truth, they will not go to heaven. <laughs> it doesn't say that. I can never envision a scenario where someone stands before God on judgment day and God says, you know, I'm God, and I know the end from the beginning because of who I am. And I know your heart better than you know your heart. And I got to tell you, if you would have heard the truth about my son, you would have been saved. But you didn't hear it, so I'm sorry you missed out. I know it's a technicality. Can you ever imagine a scenario where that would happen with God? The answer is no. Folks, people are not going to not be in heaven because they haven't heard they're, they're going to be in heaven because they did hear and they didn't believe. Because they refused the love of the truth. Because they suppressed the truth of God in unrighteousness. Because they ignored the general calling of God in nature and in conscience. When people truly seek God with all their heart, because God has already placed that knowledge within, him, within people, God sends them the truth of Jesus Christ. That's how it's been working for so long now. The question is, who hasn't heard? Folks, one of the problems is that, that, that exists when it comes to religion is that people identify culture with faith. They identify culture with faith. So you, I've heard people, you know, pretty learned people who think that just because you're living in the United States, you're a Christian because it's a Christian nation. That's what people say. It doesn't work that way, does it? But see... Religiare, which is the root word for religion, that I believe it's Latin, but it means cultural binding. Cultural binding. You can have a cultural binding about anything, right? That's why I say atheism is a religion too, because it binds people culturally. They have a set of beliefs, and on it goes. We associate religion with God because so much of what the culture in this nation was for so long 
that bound us together culturally was God and church and the Bible. Didn't mean that everybody in that system was saved, right? But it does mean that there was an identification of God with culture. But that's not really what it is. So when people look at people in Muslim nations or Buddhist nations or Hindu nations, they think, well, gosh, that's not fair because they've got this religion over here and you've got your religion over here in America. So what are they going to do? Well, folks, that is not the question because Jesus Christ is not bound by borders or by culture. Where did the gospel start? First of all, where did the gospel start? First gospel. It's a kind of a fancy uh, Latin word. They call it the proto-evangelicum. You know where it is? Genesis 3.15. That's where the Christian faith starts right there, brothers and sisters. In Genesis 3.15. Because everybody's there. God is there. Man is there. Sin is there. Satan is there. God announces that there's going to be a supernatural person whom he refers to as he. It's supernatural because it's the seed of the woman. That's a biological absurdity. It's a supernatural thing, the seed of the woman. It indicates the virgin birth. God says, I'm going to fix this problem, and I'm going to bring him to fix it. And Satan, you're going to be judged. That's Genesis 3.15. That's where the gospel starts. And so that has been the platform for God's unveiling of his revelation for all time. And so when Jesus Christ came to the world, he came on time, as prophesied, and he gave himself up. He, put him, he went to the cross to take the sins of the world upon himself. And um, it started there. After the resurrection in Jerusalem, this little tiny nation, the gospel spread to the whole world. Also, as prophesied, in Daniel 2, the stone cut out of the mountain without hands. That's a supernatural thing. Became a mountain and filled the whole earth. Who are they talking about? They're talking about the Messiah. They're talking about Jesus Christ. Because Jesus starts in Genesis 3.15 and he is all throughout the Old Testament, folks. All throughout. So it started small and grew to the rest of the world. There are people who get saved out of every race, creed, and color, out of every culture, out of every nation, and have been for all time. Everywhere you look in the world, there are Christians. Remember, Dolores, when we did the, uh, and you were here too, Pastor Scott, when we did the Christmas Eve service, I put together that video, Christmas Around the World, and all the people celebrating Jesus Christ from every corner of this globe. God will reach people because he's God. Amen? Okay, so that, that kind of puts that thing to bed right there about what about people who haven't heard. That's a non-starter. God is the one taking care of it. If people aren't in heaven, it's going to be because they refuse the truth and the light that they were given. Okay? All right, so then the next thing. I wish I could take the time to talk about all the wonderful evidences for the Bible being supernatural. Not, not time, so let's just, for the sake of argument, God has communicated... But you know what else he has done, folks? He has authenticated that communication to us in the Bible. He's communicated, but he's authenticated that communication. So he has filled his word with his divine signature so that we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that what we hold here in our hands is not a contrivance or a fraud. 
This is the living word of God, supernaturally inspired, because God has communicated, and he says, check through it. This is his word, because it's supernatural in so many different aspects. A quick story. R.C. Sproul, he tells a story about when he was in, I think it was, I don't know if he was in high school or college, but there was a professor, and she was a rabid Christian hater, okay? You know, she was just someone who, you know, every opportunity she had, she was cutting down religion and cutting down the Christian faith. And then this subject came up, what about Jesus Christ? Is he the only way to heaven? And Sproul said, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. The teacher said, all right, Sproul, what about it? Your guys say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Do you believe that? And Sproul said he could feel all the weight of the world on him. Every eye in that class turned on him. He said he knew that if he answered no, or if he answered yes, that Jesus is the only way to heaven, he would face the unmitigated wrath of his professor and be embarrassed. He said he knew if he said no or if he gave some kind of mealy-mouthed answer that he would be denying his Lord. But he quietly said, yes, I believe that. And the teacher went nuclear on R.C. Sproul. Here's the interesting thing, though, and this is part of what apologetics is. It's not only... um, can be an encouragement to us and to other people. It can not only be preparatory for our children and grandchildren. It can be evangelistic, but it also refutes error. And the Apostle Paul did that throughout the entire New Testament. He was engaged in apologetics all the time because he was constantly refuting error that came up, people spreading false doctrine and that sort of thing. So that's what Sproul did. He told his teacher, and folks, this is the crux of it. This is the key. Remember how I started off and the naysayers say, you say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. No, I don't say that. God says that. It's not my directive. It's not the directive of the Church of Chicago or Elam or the Catholic Church, the Pope, Billy Graham, none of that. God's word says that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And so what R.C. Sproul told his teacher, he said, look, if on my own authority I was to come to you or even on the authority of my my church and said that Jesus is the only way to heaven. He said that would be the height of arrogance. He said, but that's not what we believe as Christians. We believe that God is the one who communicated it. And therefore, if God is the one who told us that Jesus is the only way to heaven, we would be manifestly irresponsible and kind of stupid (laughs) to go against what God has directed. He said, you know, She softened after that, and she left them alone. I don't know if she ever got saved or not, but the point is, is that because of just a little bit of defending the faith, not a big thing, just a little thing, she stopped, okay? Because he's exactly right. If God offered, first of all, he's under no obligation to offer any way to himself, is he? He didn't have to save us. He could have said, uh, you know, no, I don't worry about the ark. It's over now. You know, so I'm not putting you and your family on there either. Okay? He could have just ended it right there. But he didn't. He loves us, and he has a plan, and he's carrying out that plan because 
He is a God who makes promises and keeps promises. And he didn't have to offer any way to himself, but he did. If people, if he offered more than one way, people would still complain that's not enough. You want to know why? Because it's not a head, it's not a head problem, it's a heart problem. It's a problem of the will, it's a problem of unbelief. It has nothing to do with supposed intellectual objections. That's all a facade. Because at the end of the day, the, the skeptic and the atheist has nothing to offer anything that is cogent, relevant, evidential, or true in their atheism. Folks, we have been given the greatest gift, and that is salvation. But you know what? God has given us the intellectual high ground. I'm not saying that as a brag or a boast. I'm boasting in him. I'm boasting in him. He's the one who's given us that. Okay? And we don't have to be, you know, we don't have to be in your face or mean-spirited about it. But we, we need to contend. Earnestly contend for the faith, as we're told in the book of Jude. Earnestly contend for the faith. Okay. So, um, God's word says this, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And, uh, in some ways, isn't that kind of the end of the story, right? I mean, uh, God said it. It's in his word. That's good enough. And it is. It is. There's no question about that. Um, but I want to offer up one analogy, and then I'll close. And this is just an analogy that um, I've, got, I've got three sons, so it just seemed, I don't know, God just kind of worked on me with this, and it seemed to make a lot of sense to people. First son comes in, and again, this, this didn't really happen. This is just a thought exercise. First son comes in, he, hey, Dad, tell me about God. And you give him the biblical account, just like we talk about here every Sunday morning. We give that account of God. Thank you, Dad. And then he goes off, and second son comes in. Hey, Dad, tell me about God. Oh, sure, no problem. I'm God, you're God, the grass is God, the sun is God, the sky is God. We're all little gods. We're all part of a giant oneness, and we're going to keep recycling through different lives until we reach a peaceful state of non-existence or what we call nirvana. Oh, okay, Dad, thanks. And then he leaves. Third son comes in. Dad, tell me about God. There is no God. What are you talking about? There's no God. We are here as the result of billions of years of purposeless mutation and natural selection. Go for the gusto now while you can, boy, because this is it. When it's over, it's over, so get it all now while you can because there ain't no coming back. We're going to go out just as accidentally as we came in. Oh, thanks, Dad, for that very uplifting message. <laughs> no, folks, I submit to you, what sane father would do that to his children? Is there a sane father out there who would purposely tell his sons three diametrically opposed messages with contradictory questions or answers about a very, very simple question. Would any human father do that to his kids? And the answer is no. And we're fallen. But what gets me so kind of riled up sometimes is that I don't understand why people think that God should be any less rational or less moral. You're going to tell the same truth to all three of your kids, but God's not going to do that with his kids. He's going to tell you one thing. He's going to tell you something else. All those things are going to be in conflict. And then God can sit back and say, let's see who's going to guess right. Let's see who's going to figure this little puzzle out. No. God is the highest character. His righteousness, his holiness, his perfection, 
His purity does not allow for that. So you know what God does? He does something very simple. He offers one way to himself. And he offers it to everybody. John 3.16. Who did God love? Americans? Europeans? Christians? No. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So the message, while the truth is exclusive, the invitation is very inclusive. It's the widest invitation there is. And God says, I'm going to offer one way, and I'm going to tell everybody that way, that one truthful way. I'm not going to mix people up. I'm not going to tell these guys over here this and tell somebody else over here that. He says, no, that would be immoral. That would be illogical. That would be unloving. I'm going to tell the one truth, and I'm going to give it to everybody. And he has. Praise God. Folks, we are in the possession, again, of a great truth, of a great salvation. And um, I think when we start with God's character and realize just how pure he is and how good he is, it really takes some of these objections off the table. Um, and this is certainly one of them. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven because it is loving, it is logical, it is moral, it is of God, not of man. That's why. And his word has made that clear, as is evidenced through the many scriptures that we study. And we got to take that as, as, as a blessing and realize that there are people getting saved all over the world, and they refuse to deny their Savior, and sometimes they meet a terrible end because of it. That's God doing that work and getting people saved. It's not us. We're just the vessels. Okay?